Amen. It's good to see everyone again this morning. We have a pretty good crowd, despite it being deer season. And despite, I know that there are those that are afraid they're going to melt in the rain, so they thought it best not to come. But we are glad that you are here, and we're thankful for His presence. The Lord's presence is among us, and we're grateful for that. If you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. The Old Testament book of Habakkuk. It's In my Bible, it's page 925, if that helps you any, but probably not. It's in between Nahum and Zephaniah, if that helps. Habakkuk, chapter number 1, and verse number 1. It says, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. Verse 2 says, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see the trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore, the law is powerless, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgments proceeds. Let's pray once again. Our Father, we ask you, Lord, to speak to us through your word And Lord, I pray that you give us listening ears and hearts that are receptive to your word. Apply it to our heart and life. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. As you know, as you already see, we're going to take a break from our gospel of preaching through the gospel of Mark in order that I may encourage you. Uh, One of the things that the Apostle Paul told young Timothy, the young preacher, he said to preach the word in season and out of season. And he said to reprove, rebuke, and exhort in all instruction. And that word exhort means to encourage. And if you are like me, and I think most of you are, if you're human, it's very easy in this world in which we live in to be down, to be discouraged, and at times even depressed. As we look at all the things that have transpired just over the last few weeks, the war in the Middle East and the seemingly impending uh, nations that are surrounding it uh, could possibly begin World War III. We think about the gross sins of our nation. We think about the, just the recent shooting in the state of Maine. Just so much heartbreak. There's so much wickedness that it just manifested itself greatly in our day. It's very easy for us to, uh, if you are a genuine believer, if you love the Lord, and if you long to see the Lord glorified, These days in which we are living are very hard. Now, yes, I understand and know that throughout church history, the church has seen 
uh, throughout history much harder days than what we're experiencing right now. But that does not mean that the days we're living in right now are easy, okay? They're very hard. As a matter of fact, Adrian Rogers said, he said, we live in a day when everything that is not nailed down is coming apart. And then he said this, he said, and the devil is pulling out the nails as fast as he can. And that is so, so true. And because of that, sometimes it seems that everywhere we look, we see hopelessness. We see hopelessness in this moral and sexual revolution that we're seeing transpire before our eyes. We're seeing hopelessness like we've never seen before with young adults that are leaving the church in unprecedented numbers. We're seeing hopelessness as we continually see the truth of Scripture being denied and distorted and even scorned. And we ask ourselves at times, is there any hope? Because it seems that everything that we look at is absolutely falling apart. So I want to speak to you from this Old Testament book, the prophet Habakkuk. And I want us to notice this morning that the prophet Habakkuk was absolutely going through some difficult times. He was living in days where he too was wondering, is there any hope at all? Habakkuk lived in the southern kingdom of Judah in 600 B.C. In Habakkuk's day, Judah was filled with great national corruption. Judah was filled with crime and hatred and division. Evil and immorality were flaunted openly, while ethical standards that were rooted in the Scriptures were breaking down. And again, that sounds just like us today. We're living in a day and time where evil and immorality is being flaunted and promoted today, while at the same time, if you have any scriptural standards whatsoever, they are trying to make you do away with those standards. And as we have seen, as we have already read the first four, uh, first four verses of Habakkuk, we see that he was absolutely horrified with what he was seeing happen in his nation. And let me just say that Habakkuk was not the only prophet in his day that was horrified at what he was seeing. Habakkuk also was a prophet along with Jeremiah. Both of them lived and prophesied during uh, roughly the same time period. And when you read the book of Jeremiah, and then you read his follow-up book, the book of Lamentations, you get an idea of the hopelessness that they had as prophets concerning their nation. In fact, it was so far gone that we read that God said to Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 15, verse 1, God said this, The Lord said to me, Even though Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, my heart would not be with this people. Send them away from my presence and let them go. So in essence, God tells Jeremiah that even if you had two of the most prominent Jewish figures in Jewish history, if Moses and Samuel were interceding on behalf of the people, it would not alleviate the anger that I have toward my people. 
And so it was in this setting that Habakkuk wrote this short book, only 56 verses. But the whole book is a book of a dialogue that he is having with the Lord God. And so in essence, this is a prayer. And there's so much to learn from Habakkuk, especially about prayer, in a time that we're dealing with today, a time of utter hopelessness. And really what's amazing about this book is that it begins, as we have seen, with Habakkuk sighing. And he's sobbing, he's crying, but it ends, as we shall see, with Habakkuk singing. And he's shouting the praise of the Lord. Not because Judah was given a great revival by God. No, he was shouting because... He was able to view things from God's perspective. Listen, beloved, I cannot promise you that the circumstances that are causing you to have this hopelessness will change, but I can help you through the Spirit's work see those circumstances from God's perspective that will enable you to live in biblical hope when it seems that everything is absolutely falling apart. The first thing I want you to notice with me this morning is this. We see a perplexing problem. A perplexing problem. We come to chapter 1, and Habakkuk has been seeking God with a broken heart, but things do not seem to be getting better. The Bible tells us there in verse 1 that Habakkuk was burdened. It says the burden which which the prophet Habakkuk saw. And Habakkuk's trouble was primarily in three areas that we all can relate to. We see in verses 1 through 2, a prayer, uh, prayers seem to be unanswered. Again, verse 1 says, The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry, and you will not hear? Even cry out to you, violence, and you will not save. And so it's very evident that there was a great problem in the land, uh, a lot of violence. And so Habakkuk does what we ought to do in such times. He prays. He goes to the Lord and he lays it before him and he prays. And he continues to pray and he continues to pray But there doesn't seem to be an answer. As a matter of fact, rather than the situation getting better, the situation gets worse. And he says, God, how long am I going to have to cry to you? And it's very interesting that the word cry is mentioned twice in verse 2, but they're not the same word in the Hebrew. The first word cry means a cry like a cry for help. But the second word cry is a different Hebrew word, and it means a shout or a scream. So in other words, Habakkuk is no longer asking God. He's starting to shout at God as if God is deaf. And as if God does not know what's going on, with the nation of Judah. And so he's shouting at God, God, why don't you do something? 
Can you not see the violence? Can you not see the evil? Can you not see the wickedness? He's pleading for God to help, but it seems as if to Habakkuk that the heavens are silent. Have you ever been there? Are you there? Where it seems that you are in a state of hopelessness, you are in a state of crisis, and you pray, and you pray, and you pray, and it seems as if the heavens are brass. You want to argue with God just a little bit and say, God, why haven't you done anything? There doesn't seem to be an answer, and you say, Lord, how long am I going to have to pray about this? We see in verses 3 through 4 that sin seemed to be unrestrained. Verse 3 tells us, why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For, For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, and therefore perverse judgment proceeds. It sounds like 2023 in America. And so it seemed to Habakkuk that the wicked outnumbered as well as out-influenced the righteous. There was violence, there was injustice, there was strife, there was oppression over the poor, Wickedness seemed to be having the upper hand. And we see this in our day where it seems as if sin is winning. And it grieves us. It grieves us to see such sin as we're seeing today. Uh, The sin that used to slink down the back alleys now struts down Main Street. Literally. I mean, all the gay pride parades that happen today literally strut down Main Street. Well, Habakkuk was perplexed. He's saying, Lord, haven't you noticed lately? Haven't you looked down here? This world is in a mess. There is violence and wickedness everywhere. And as I said earlier, Jeremiah and Habakkuk prophesied at the same time. And Jeremiah said this. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. And so Jeremiah and Habakkuk lived in a a day and time with a generation that could not blush at their sin. They were not ashamed of the abomination that they were committing before a holy God. They were actually proud of their sin. And we live in that same kind of a generation. And we pray, we say, God, what is happening to America? And we see the murders, we see the crime, we see the violence, we see the the pornography, we see the spread of dishonesty, dishonesty, we see the spread of greed and materialism. and And we cry out to God and we say, oh God, you're the only one who can do anything Please, God, do something. Yet God doesn't seem to be doing anything. And it seems as if things are getting worse. So Habakkuk was troubled, 
over unanswered prayer. He was troubled at how sin was seemingly unrestrained. Thirdly, we see the Lord seemed to be, to Habakkuk, uncaring. The Lord seemed to be uncaring. We see this in verse 5. Habakkuk says to God, Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work in your days. Or excuse me, this is God speaking to uh, Habakkuk. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days, which you would not believe, though it were told you. For indeed, I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty, that is a ruthless nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. Now, this is not at all what Habakkuk wanted for his nation. Habakkuk responds by saying that the Chaldeans are worse than we are. He says this in verse 12. Verse 12 says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have appointed them for judgment. O rock, you have marked them for correction. You are purer. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? One, one commentator entitled this section of Habakkuk, The Strangeness of God's Ways. The Strangeness of God's Ways. And it's very clear that Habakkuk expected God to send a great revival. That there would be a great revival. The people of God would repent. God would not judge the nation. That's what Habakkuk was expecting, but that is not what God says. God said he's going to raise up the Chaldeans or the Babylonians, this pagan nation who is ruthless. They hate God. And he's raising them up on purpose to do one thing, to take the people of God and possess them, take them over. It was unbelievable to Habakkuk that God, who is holy, who is righteous, would use such an evil and arrogant and pagan nation like Babylon to discipline God's people. Now, Judah was bad, right? We, we've already seen that, but Babylon... The Babylonian Empire was horrible, absolutely horrible. And God did use the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. In 587, they made a final defeat of, of Judah, and they took most of the people captive. They destroyed the temple. They tore down the walls that surrounded Jerusalem. And you say, my soul, why would God allow that? Why would God allow that? Well, listen, God accomplishes His sovereign plans the way He chooses, okay? God allowed the Babylonians to defeat Judah because it was part of God's divine plan to bring about discipline and to bring about correction for the, people, uh, for the people's unfaithfulness and the sin that they have committed before the Lord God. Now, the Lord will eventually allow the Babylonians to fall Thus, in 
the years to come, the people of Israel will once again go back into their homeland. But we see secondly, after this perplexing problem, we see the second thing I want you to notice is a proper perspective. Notice this in chapter number 2 and verse 1. Habakkuk says, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart, that tower overlooking, and watch to see what he will say, what God will say to me, and what I will answer when I am corrected. And so Habakkuk, he's going to watch and wait for God's response to his concerns and his complaining that he's done. But you've got to love how submissive Habakkuk was. I mean, he, he already knows that he's going to be corrected for the things that he said just earlier. But what does God show him? Well, in verses 2 through 3, we see that God shows him that his word is absolutely reliable. God's word is reliable. Verse 2 tells us, Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. So God assures Habakkuk that this vision, that his vision for judgment and justice, has a specific appointed time for fulfillment. God tells Habakkuk to be Patient, He tells Habakkuk to trust in him, trust in his timing. And even today in these verses, we learn something of God's divine sovereignty. That we are encouraged to trust in God's plan. We are encouraged to trust in God's timing. Even when circumstances appear absolutely discouraging. When it seems that your world is absolutely falling apart and that evil has the upper hand, listen, get into the Word of God and cling to His promises. Let God teach you His perspective. And let Him teach you that He is still in control. That He has a plan. I'm thankful this morning that there is no panic in heaven. There are only plans. There's no panic in heaven, only plans. God's word is reliable. And his perspective is the true perspective. The second thing I want you to notice in verse 4 is we, we need to be resting in him. That should be our response. Verse 4 says, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. The last part of verse 4 is probably the best known verse in all of Habakkuk. It's quoted, as a matter of fact, in three different times in the New Testament. And this is called Martin Luther's verse. And though it may be an oversimplification, it is called the verse that started the Protestant Reformation. In Martin Luther's day, the true gospel, the biblical gospel, was absolutely obscured by the traditions of medieval Catholicism. 
Martin Luther was a monk in the church, in the Catholic church, and he was absolutely tortured by his own sinfulness. And so he did what any good Catholic monk would do. He followed the works and the rituals of the church, but he was still absolutely miserable, and he was overcome with his, this, his own sense of lostness. But it was while he was reading these words from Habakkuk that's quoted in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, that the righteous will live by his faith, that the Holy Spirit turned on the light in Martin Luther's soul and realized that salvation was by faith in what Christ has done and not based on his following church traditions and trusting in his own merit. Of course, you know the story. This led Martin Luther to nail his 95 thesis on the door of the Catholic Church there in Wittenberg. And he did that on October the 31st, uh, 1517, 506 years ago. But this converted monk then became the recognized leader of what eventually was called the Protestant Reformation. But I believe one of the greatest things any of us any of us could be taught about God and the situation that we are in is this God is faithful you can trust him God is faithful you can trust him listen it will be a great day for any Christian when they can't when when they come to make a once and for all decision that God is always right God is always good. God is always faithful. God is always sovereign. And God always knows what He's doing. And I'm going to trust Him when I can understand what He is doing. And I'm going to trust Him when I cannot understand what He's doing. This is how, beloved, we live by faith. This is how we continue on, even in troubling times. Now notice also... The wicked, for the wicked, there is retribution. Verse 5 of chapter 2 says, Indeed, because he transgresses by wine, he is a proud man, and he does not stay at home, because he enlarges his desire as hell. And he is like death and cannot be satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and heaps up for himself all peoples. Will not all, the, will not all these take up a proverb against him and a taunting riddle against him and say, Woe to him who increases what is not his? How long? And to him who loads himself with many pledges? And so you have here in verse 6, you have that word woe being used, which was a declaration of impending judgment. Verse 9, it says, woe to him. Verse 12, woe to him. Verse 15, woe to him. Verse 19, woe to him. In verse 6, he speaks of their dishonesty. In verse 9, he speaks of their greed. In verse 12, he speaks of their violence. In verse 15, he speaks of their immorality. In verse 19, he speaks of their idolatry. And God says, Habakkuk, listen to me. I know about all of these sins. I know about all of the wickedness that's going on before my eyes, and I'm going to judge every one of them. 
Now suppose, just suppose that the Babylonians said, well, if there is a God, He, he doesn't judge sin. I mean, look, look at all we're doing. We're getting by with it. But God says, I have a record of every one of them. And that ought to frighten you. The Bible says, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to me. And listen, beloved, I'm here to tell you as your pastor and as your friend that there's not one half of one sin that will ever go overlooked by God. Somebody said this, the mills of God grind slowly, but they grind exceedingly fine. The mills of God grind slowly, but they grind exceedingly fine. In other words, divine justice may be slow coming, but when it does, it will be thorough. And when it does, it will be precise. And it may seem that sin may not ever be punished. And it may seem that the process of divine justice is very gradual, but let me tell you something, friend, it's certain. It is certain. And so patience is required when waiting for the justice of the wicked. That's what God's saying to Habakkuk. In the end, right will prevail. In the end, wrongs will be made right even if it takes time. And listen to me today. If you're here and you are a sinner without Christ, don't ever think. Do not ever think because God is not judging your sin now that God will not judge your sin in the future. Don't ever think that God has let sin get by. Notice the third thing. In chapter 3, we see a, pro, a profound praise. A profound praise. Notice, first of all, Habakkuk's prayer focuses on God's character. We don't have time to examine all of these verses in this chapter, but Habakkuk is focusing on three of the attributes of God. And those three attributes are... God's mercy, God's power, and God's wrath. And listen, if you want to have hope in troubling times, meditate and rejoice in those three attributes. Notice number one, God is merciful. We see this in verse 2 of chapter 3. O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known in wrath. Remember mercy. Aren't you thankful for mercy? Listen, even if, you're in, if your troubling times are because of your own sin, your own doing, if you come to Him in repentance, you can experience His mercy. Praise the Lord for that. So God is merciful. Remember this. In verse 4, we see God is all-powerful. Chapter 3, verse 4 says, His brightness was like the light. He had rays flashing from His hand, and there His power was hidden. 
And so this verse speaks of God's holiness. His brightness was like the light. And what does James tell us in the New Testament? James chapter 1, verse 5. God is light. And in Him is no darkness at all. There's no blemish. There's no sin whatsoever. He is perfectly holy and righteous. And then that phrase, He had rays, rays flashing from His hand, that speaks of God's divine power. It speaks of His divine authority. Then that last phrase where it says, and there His power was hidden. In other words, God's power is beyond human comprehension. We cannot fathom in our finite minds the infinite power of God. And in a sense, it is hidden from our understanding. And so, therefore, knowing His holiness, knowing His authority and power, we ought to reverence God. We ought to worship Him for His greatness. It is His greatness and power and authority that will be our ultimate salvation. So these are things to think on. Think about God's mercy. Think about His power in times of difficulty. And then also think about His wrath. Verse 12 through 13 says, You marched through the land in indignation. You trampled the nations in anger. You went forth for the salvation of your people, for salvation with your anointed You struck the head from the house of the wicked by laying bare the foundation to neck. Selah. So in other words, we can absolutely trust God's ability to exercise judgments on those nations or in all all peoples who absolutely are wicked and do not repent. So listen to me, beloved. Every nation... Every nation that knows not God, every nation that is beyond wicked and beyond pagan, there is going to be a payday someday. There is going to be a retribution made by God. Even if it's on that last day, there is going to be seen His wrath. Notice, secondly, not only do we see Habakkuk's prayer that focuses on God's character, but notice... We see Habakkuk's faith that focuses on God's care. I love this. Verse 16. When I heard, my body trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. Though the fig tree may, may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the, from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. And he will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills. So one of the great, these are one of the some of the greatest and amazing passages in Scripture. That if you're losing hope, if you are struggling in this world, look to those verses. 
That is how we live when everything seems to be falling apart. Look at those verses. And again, in verse 16, he confesses his, his fear and dread, but then he confesses his faith, and then he confesses God's faithfulness. Now, Habakkuk's living in a day and time. He's living in an agricultural economy, and he's giving the worst-case scenario. This is the worst that can happen, yet even in that, he can rejoice in the Lord because he will give strength and the ability to do what is required. But if we take his prayer and we apply it to our modern day, it might sound something like this. Though the economy worsens and never gets any better, though I lose my job, though Social Security goes bankrupt, and my retirement funds cease to exist. Though the whole world goes to war, I will rejoice in the Lord and praise to the God of my salvation. He will give me the strength to get through. He will give me the wisdom to make right decisions and not fail. He will bring me through triumphantly by His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is, beloved, your worst case scenario that you're anxious about? Is it the change in culture in which we are seeing change before our very eyes? Is it cancer or cancer ret returning, fearing that you'll never get married, losing your job, never getting a job? Listen, when it seems that everything is falling apart, learn from Habakkuk, that even though that we lose those things that are so precious to us, he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. So there is biblical hope, beloved, even when it seems that everything is falling apart. Be encouraged this morning. Be encouraged. And let me just say that in the midst of life's challenges and uncertainties, we must remember that God is the God of salvation. And if you are here and you do not know Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, I pray, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. I pray that today you would trust Him, that you'll see Him as the God of all grace, that you'll see Him as the God of salvation as He bestows the gift of eternal life through His Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that you, just as Habakkuk did in his day, would stand before the Lord God with much awe and reverence as He did. I pray that you today would not leave here without, without seeing the holiness and the, and the awesomeness of the Lord God who will do everything and does everything right. Let's pray together. Our Father, Lord, I pray that you would bless this message. And Lord, I try to be faithful to what you have laid upon my heart. And Lord, I pray that each and every person here would be encouraged. That they would have hope in a world where it seems to be no hope. And that they would find that hope 
only in you and in your word and in your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that those that are here today that are lost, God, I pray that today that you would draw them into your son Jesus and save them. I pray, Lord, that you reveal unto them, Lord, your holiness and their hellishness. Your saving power and their sin, Lord, I pray that you would reveal that to them. And even in this moment, this very moment, they would trust you. And I pray, Lord, for every Christian that is here, that we would draw from your fountain. That we would continue to drink from your well that shall never run dry. That you would encourage us. That we will look to you in all things and rejoice in you. For you are the God of our salvation. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.